Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Robert Yeager and the Tao Foundation. You're about to hear a favorite from the Faith Middleton Fuchmu's archive. This show originally aired on March 23rd, 2017. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry. I keep running into people who say to me, Chris, they say, sometimes it just makes me too hungry. So I just want to say... <laughs> You know, maybe you should have a snack uh, before yeah. the show starts. Get, get and, pretzels ready. You know, it, it does the starting. same to us, too. You know, it makes us excited. We try and defer that energy and cook something or go out and eat something. <laughs> I get it. Listen, we're going to celebrate cultures on this show. My treasured food buddies are here. Senior contributor Chris Prosperi and Robin Doyen Aiken is also senior producer of the show. He, we, we just celebrated... Uh, Chris and Robin, Persian-Iranian New Year, and I would s- invite you to find a good Persian cook, home cook, mm. or a restaurant. It is gorgeous food. I like to celebrate holidays from different cultures and because it gets me to, to try new things. Once I was roaming around in Boston and someone said to me, okay, well, let's eat at this Burmese restaurant. The food was so hot. <laughs> but the, I knew that if, if I had asked for it a different way, I would have loved the spice mixture in that culture. Mm-hmm. We can go to Afghani restaurants oh, yeah. right now, certainly oh, God, Chinese, yeah. French, Italian, yeah. you know, you know, South the, African, North oh, African, yeah. Egyptian. Do you remember I mean, it, just all that stuff? One time in New Haven, I was driving down the road. I've probably said this on the show before. Yeah. Forgive me. But driving right down the main street, and there was a sign that had popped up. The main street in New Haven is Chapel. All kinds of restaurants, stores, everything down there. Yale University. And the sign pops up, and it says, Polish Indian cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I'm, I'm just can't stand it that I didn't go in there. There was a place in Wallingford that specialized in Mexican-Italian. Yeah. I mean, I, just, I can kind of see, but Polish Indian. I'm, well, when you think I wish about I had gone. what you know, pierogies with a kind of curry sauce is what I'm thinking oh, in my head. I don't know. Okay. I, I have no idea. Yep. Try some things, oh, um, yeah. especially when you're in the cities, right? Like New Haven, Hartford. Hartford has great little Jamaican restaurants, right? Right? and you and it just gets you out of the norm. And maybe you're heading to an Italian restaurant because it's a normal thing, and it's a restaurant you go to. Just take a left turn and and go try something new. There's Listen, so West many West Haven, funky Connecticut, Afghanistan. Sure. Spain over in East yeah. Haven, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. You know, this just goes Puerto on. Puerto Rican in the Hartford area, oh, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. And falafel and Waterbury. Yeah, falafels <laughs> and Waterbury. Right. Sure. Uh, by the way, back to Persian for okay. a second, Iranian yep. food. I have friends who are Persian-Iranian, mm-hmm. and they, I've eaten at their homes, and there is, if you find a good Persian restaurant, there is a crispy rice dish. It's, very, it's a classic thing. It takes a long time to make. It is so 
delicious. Mm -hmm. So try that among many other things. Um, We're going to tell you about how to make a special thing in Rhode Island that goes with some Easter food because Easter is on the way. We've got a special matzah thing coming your way. Passover right around the corner. Passover coming. We've got uh, a little conversation with someone who's Korean. So we're going to tell you about where to go to get good Korean food. So here we go. For him, Chris and Robin, Mm. one of my favorite things is to take a jar of peach preserves or peach jam and then coat the ham on the outside and put in some cloves, stud it with a few cloves and bake it in the oven. Of course, it really crisps up on the outside because of the sugar in the jam, but that peach flavor is really something. Do you foil? I'm a foil guy. No, I don't. All right, so what I mean when I'm I'm a foil guy, I take my ham and I glaze it. I like a mustard because I like that kind of spiciness. So I'll do a like Dijon and whole grain mustard. I'll mix in a little bourbon. And then I like make an envelope with the foil and I sort of make a package and I put that in the roasting pan. Do you leave a little space around the ham or right right up against it? Yeah, right and a nice and tight and I bake it in that foil pouch. What does that do? It just keeps, for me, it keeps all the moisture in, all the juices in, it doesn't dry out. And then for, I don't know, the last 15 minutes, I'll pop it open, I'll crank my oven and I'll get the glaze to like get crazy. Crispy. Oh, yeah. that's But I just like, good. I don't know, I just like it because when you cook it in the foil, it, it does cook a little faster, but it also keeps all that juices inside. I yeah. like that. And now mm. you're making me want to put just a little bourbon oh, in my yeah. peach jam. Uh-huh. Wouldn't that be good? <laughs> I'm only going to make it better. <laughs> I know. I th- really, seriously. And if you can't have alcohol, go just with the peach oh. jam. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't want to have alcohol, I should mm. say. Robin, are you a ham? We're traditional, you know, brown sugar glaze. I try to keep the ham really simple because I know that I'm going to have that all week. We're working on this, so, you know, here's hoping. Fingers crossed. We're going to try to bring you on the next show a little something about what to do with that leftover ham. And it includes a ham carbonara on Mm. pasta. Okay, now we're going to just think of it in your mind and create that. Just pretend that the bacon that you would have in a traditional carbonara, substitute the ham, okay? But we're going to tell you about that next week. But before we move off ham, we have to note that you can get, like, one of the best hams in the world here in Mm. Connecticut, and that's Nodines. In Goshen. In Goshen, Connecticut, where I spent most of my summers as a kid. And and why is it among the best? I I agree. It is just the perfect amount of salt and smoky and Mm -hmm. sweet. Not too sweet, not too salty. And a little secret, and it would probably kill me if I say it, but there's a famous <laughs> chef. Do tell. Do tell. There's yeah. a fa- but there's a famous chef on Food Network, and he orders all his Easter stuff, including his ham, sent out to his house, UPS, from Nodines every year. But I mean, just okay. tell you, that's that's where you get your ham this year. <laughs> you little devil. Oh, it's You're going to be in I know he's going to yell, but I'm telling you, the ham you is so what? good. Yeah. And get a half pound of beef jerky while you're there. Because you know what? The while you're there, get a half pound of everything because yeah. <laughs> I love a road trip to that place. I, I suddenly smell, say, right? I'd like some smoked turkey and oh, give me some smoked ham and there. smoked cheese. And, you know, suddenly I've got a, a whole giant thing going on. Okay. D- d- when you were growing up, I don't know if your parents did ham. Chris, your mother. Oh, yeah. was Austrian, your father French. Easter. My mother, Scottish. Nope. Uh, I don't know where she got this, whether it was reading 50s magazines or what, because <laughs> I, this isn't Scottish. Yep. But she would take a ham and pour a bottle of Coke over it yep. and then stud it all over with yep. cloves. Yep. And into the oven it would go. It would get this caramelized thing from the Coke. 
And it, it was delicious. It's a classic American. And down south in the Dallas and Texas area, it was, Dr. Pe- it was Dr. Pepper. Dr. Pepper. Same recipe you're talking about. So, you know, it's all Dr. the sugar. Pepper. It's, it's the, sugar the sugar and the, the caramel. Because you could probably all... put ginger ale on it. And it's got that caramel already in there, right? So that makes it just so much better. Mm-hmm. Robin, you grew up with ham. It's the same one that I make with it's... just the brown sugar. See how we revert to and, tradition. And sometimes pineapple. That yeah, might be a say, safety yeah, magazine. You're no, supposed to. <laughs> right? With cherries. <laughs> right? You have to stick them. How many magazine pictures has that been in, right? The studded think, with the pineapple. Do I remember pineapple? Gourmet? I think Gourmet Everybody, even did that. Every magazine on earth had that at one and time. And if you come upon those old copies, the color is all kind of crazy. <laughs> you know, it looks like something kind of... Technicolor. Technicolor. Um, well, in my world, if you're having ham, and you know, we shouldn't overlook lamb because no, spring it's lamb, it's yeah. a huge thing. But to come back to ham, if you're having ham, you need two other things. You need fresh asparagus, which is coming to us very shortly. And do you remember, can we put this up? Brown butter, easy blender, hollandaise to put Mm. on that asparagus. I forgot about that. That would be perfect for the holidays. And even if you don't do the brown butter version, which takes a minute to just brown the butter, but if you don't want to do that and it freaks you out, just use our recipe for the blender hollandaise. And I think, Chris, this was your recipe. Yes, so simple. You cannot fail with this thing. It is so delicious. Blender does all the work for you. So that's at foodschmooze.org. And if you ask me, because I said two things besides the asparagus. Yeah, what's the other one? The other thing, and I think it is the best thing on the table, better than the ham, better than anything else, biscuits. Ah, mm, you just you want to have biscuits yeah. with your ham. Soak right? up all that juice. Oh, it's just so good. Butter on them. Flaky. Oh. There's so many recipes for biscuits, so we're not going to presume to tell you what to do. But there are some super easy biscuit recipes out there and super complicated ones. But I'd say if you're not used to making biscuits, do the easy way. You could go to the supermarket I'm gonna and say get that poppin' fresh. We, we the la- I can't remember. Whatever the last holidays, one of my servers brought in one of the tubes. And crescent rolls? Or no, what? it was the biscuits. You yeah. know, they and I, I haven't seen them in years. I totally forgot what they were. And you sort of, so it, you twist it a little, and it, it sort of pops, pops open, yep. and then they sort of break apart, and you just put them on a cookie sheet and you throw them in the oven. But can I, can I just add a quick thing yeah. here? Really, the one thing you want to do is just brush them the tops with a little melted butter. We did. Because, you did? We did. And a little sea salt on top because oh. now these were not, we weren't selling these. We were just, he brought in a tube and he's like could you bake these for us? It's a long shift. It's a holiday. I'm like sure, I guess. And I tell you what, they were gone in a second and everyone Did they taste chemical like? Uh, you know what? I don't know if it was just, butter. I don't know what it was. I can't explain what it was, but they were simple. Good. They were easy. Taste of childhood. They were in a blink. They were gone, and everyone, a whole staff, loved them. So who's to say, right? And, and can I invite you to look up a recipe for cream biscuits? Cream biscuits. These are the easiest biscuits in the world. If you are a non-biscuit maker, the easiest in the world. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's three ingredients. Nice. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to. It's I'm all about just that. Fabulous. Especially on the holidays. Enough work already. Okay. Yeah. Plus, you need to make a little um, ham sandwich after with a good mustard and your leftover yeah. biscuits. Oh, yeah. yes. Yep. Ham and mustard. Yeah, you that's know. it right oh, there. Oh, that's right? right. It's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's say you're gluten-free or you're just a nut about cornbread, as I am. Ooh. I would like to talk about a thing and it's cultural because this is a Rhode Island thing. Johnny cakes. 
Yeah. So Johnny Cakes are really corn cakes, except that in most traditional cornbread, corn cake recipes, you would have white flour. This ends up, not by intention, but it ends up being gluten-free. All you need is a cast iron skillet and a bowl. And in that bowl, the trick to Johnny Cakes in Rhode Island is they insist on white cornmeal. There are some heritage places there that grind white cornmeal. White corn, yeah. Okay, so let's say you've got white cornmeal. You put it in the thing, in in a bowl, with just a teaspoon of sugar. So you've got a cup of this white cornmeal, a teaspoon of sugar, a little pinch of salt, and then slowly you add a cup of boiling water. I made these last night. And you stir, 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 stir as you're slowly adding the boiling water. You know what you've got? Like a pancake batter, like Mm -hmm. kind of thicker consistency pancake batter. Then you take a cast iron skillet to make Johnny Cakes. You put a little slick of bacon grease. So if you're making bacon, do not throw that away. That's right. Throw it in a container and toss it in the freezer. You know, or let it cool and scrape it up with a spoon while now that it's solid and put it in a plastic thing and throw it in the freezer. You just stick a spoonful in the bottom, just a slick in the bottom of that cast iron skillet. And a spoonful, you get the skillet hot, a spoonful, spoonful, like you're making pancakes, and you wait for it to get golden crispy. So all that's in there is cornmeal and salt and oil. And that's it. And that is it. Golden crispy on one side. You got to watch it carefully because yeah, yeah. they go, they and turn they fast. Flip. flip them over, golden crispy on the other side. And then you just hold it in your hand and you eat it. You nice. could eat it with a knife and fork with maple yeah. syrup. But if you are a cornbread nut the way I am, oh, they are that so That would be so incredible. good with Easter. Right, with the yeah, ham with and the, the asparagus ham. and the hollandaise. I'm in. And if you're mm-hmm. a gluten-free person, you know, we know there are just millions of people now who are, who are developing these allergies to the gluten in wheat. Well, this is your way to go. And if you're driving through Rhode Island on the way to the Cape, you got to look it up. Go to you got to get Johnny Cakes. Yeah. I like it. You know, or make them at home yourself. Make it, if that's, it's mm-hmm. as easy as that. I've never, you that's know what? It. I'm being honest. I've never made them. Okay. I've read it, about them. I've heard them. I've eaten them, but I've never made them. A cup of boiling water, yeah. a sprinkle of salt to yeah. your taste. I like a lot of salt. Yeah. That's just the way I am. Yeah. A teaspoon of sugar. Yeah. You just pour that cup of boiling water in slowly and stir, 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 yeah. stir, and stir. And a fine ground cornmeal? Or well, a... the white cornmeal yeah. has a special grind to okay, it. Gotcha. That's why they do it yeah, there. Yeah, Johnny Cake. But yeah, you know yeah. what? Use I, corn meal i don't even worry about it okay so it's gonna be good no matter what this is good i mean please i hope this makes your easter you know or you're gonna make biscuits whatever you're gonna do i'm doing the cornmeal i'm doing the johnny cake thing. Yeah. if you want to add a little bit more sugar i guess you could do that too it's up to you all right so we've got a lot of things we're talking about celebrating the sort of holiday and cultural traditions that are all around us right now You know, join with friends who are from other places and try their food. If you're lucky enough to get an invitation for a (laughs) home-cooked meal, you are so lucky. And that's how you try the new things is because it's a holiday food and your, you know, holidays are up for anything. It's the gateway into that culture. I like that you're saying that, Robin. And if you want to spend a few days in Queens, the Queens section of New York, you can eat, yeah, this is where Chris was born. Yeah. You can eat around the world, and not only around the world, borough. but some of the <laughs> best of around the world. Oh, the best street best food Chinese, on best the Greek. planet. 
right here in our region. Yeah. Amazing food from around the world. Yep. Amazing. Yeah, we were saying Jamaican and Hartford. Yeah. Every, just okay. look for look for where the people from those places are eating and we've you'll got, know you've you know, got the good ones. You know what we've got coming up? We're going to tell you how to make matzo nachos. We're gonna, <laughs> we've got a wine for Easter that is fantastic, a Sauvignon Blanc. Really, really good. Mm-hmm. We've got all kinds of stuff coming your way. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food schmooze i hope you will make a charitable contribution to feed the hungry we're online now at foodschmooze.org and we'll be right back to a rebroadcast of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. This show originally aired on March 23rd, 2017. We have a free podcast of this show for you, meaning you'll never miss a drop of pleasure. All you do is go to our website, you sign up for it once. It's that simple. It takes about five seconds. And then, bang, you know, the show comes to you in your inbox, and you can listen absolutely anytime you want. All right, I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, and Robin Doyon Aiken, who is not only a participant on the show, but the senior producer and the treasure, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> oh, thank you. And you know, you are so welcome. And, you know and a who great else? home cook for, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, it depends who you ask yeah. in my family. <laughs> you ask the kids, you ask Steve. Uh-huh. Okay, so um, I want to also say, I don't want to leave out our other treasures. I want to give uh, special hugs to Alex Province mm-hmm. and a uh, hug to Mark Raymond. They, these are our other buddies on the show who are all, let's just say, they're away right now. So what we're doing is celebrating all these various holidays that are coming up, and it's giving us a window into different cultures, and we're having a great time with that. I tell you, food brings us together. Mm-hmm. Could solve all the world problems, I think. Yeah. I really believe that. Yeah. If you just did it over, instead of over well, a conference table, do it over do it over a good meal. Do you think? I love the sentiment of it. I really, really do. But I think about that they're probably serving some pretty good food at Camp David. <laughs> and they haven't yet solved some of the world's problems there. But I agree with you that a lot of things disappear over a good yeah. meal. It shows our commonality. Yeah. So we've done the... 
Persian New Year, yes. which is, is uh, just food. been with us, uh, pomegranates and crispy mm. rice and all these beautiful, beautiful things. And then we have coming up a matzah book, which tells you the most amazing things to do with matzah. We're going to talk with someone who's Korean in just a second, but we've been talking about a kind of spring Southern tradition of ham and what to do because Easter is coming. And we have here a wine that I think is terrific with, oh, matzo brai and with (laughs) asparagus, which is very difficult to match. This is a wine called Nimbus Single Vineyard, but it's a Sauvignon Blanc. It is on our website. It's a spring wine. It's a beautiful spring wine. And this is from Chile, and it's from Viña Casablanca. The reason this is so great is there are Sauvignon Blancs all around the world. Some of my favorites are in New Zealand, Australia. And I like this in particular because in this valley, this vineyard is a single grape vineyard. So it's their own grapes. A lot of vineyards, like in the United States buy grapes all over the place. They combine them. It's still an art to make a recipe. This vineyard does its own grapes only. It's harvested by hand. So this Nimbus Single Vineyard 2015 Sauvignon Blanc is delicious, and you will find it on the cheap side for 11 yeah. all the way up to about $15. So 11 to 15 depending on what your wine store wants and to do. And it has that citrusy thing like the New Zealand's oh, one do, right? But it's very unusual for Sauvignon Blanc because there's a little melon mm-hmm. You know, it's not, and I don't mean sweet, but there's a little, somehow, a melon in there mixed in with the grapefruit. So it's a beautiful citrus. Think this right. with your ham. Yes. And that asparagus, asparagus and, and the hollandaise and, and the your... biscuits, right? <laughs> this is a good one for that table. Here's where to find it. We'll tell you everything you need to know at your wine store. We take a picture of the label. You spell it for them. You don't even have to pronounce it. You could show it to them. You want to call ahead so you don't make a wasted trip because wine stores can't stock everything. It's all posted at foodschmooze.org. You know how to spell schmooze. (laughs) S-C-H, like school. M-O-O, like the cow. Z-E, foodschmooze.org. A great resource. My Jewish friends are laughing at me right now. (laughs) Okay, so Chris, do you plant peas? You know, they they always say St. Patrick's Day, so we're a little behind. But I think you could still probably squeak them in the ground. Me? I am an end user. (laughs) You know I've tried. I have a black thumb. You do? The only thing I've ever had success with is I've done hydroponics down by the furnace and that worked out well. His hydroponic (laughs) system I brought in in the food, remember? Basement was so stunning that it convinced me that anyone could do this. Look it up online, but go ahead. Yeah, it's called Vertigrow and it's a growing system. It's actually three pots, square pots that sit kitty corner to themselves and in the middle is a pipe that goes up through and the bottom there's a big five gallon bin that it sits on filled with the water and then a little pump and then it's on a timer and it pumps the but the whole thing comes to you it all all comes to you with the growing medium and everything and i was going to even take it even a step further and a lot of people are doing this now in the bin you can (laughs) do fish that fertilizes the plants and then you have uh, fried fish with your with your 50 dollar salad (laughs) can i just say hypocrite that i am i can't do it i just can't do it i'm sorry they need bigger space. They need bigger space. Okay. Well, then you can <laughs> get fertilizers. Pool. Do it in yeah. your swimming then you pool. Can get, no, you can get natural fertilizers to put in the water. Yeah. I forget. I, what I, did, I we did arugula. I did a couple types of, uh, of greens. I did ch- uh, grape tomatoes. I, I did basil and chives. 
you know what? It worked out really well. So Robin is the lucky one here because she is married to Steve Aiken. And he is, well, give us a little profile. He is like the garden man. He is, well, he's my garden man. I'll say. <laughs> he's um, mine too. He's huh? a master gardener, went through the program at UConn, and is the editor of Fine Gardening Magazine. And people always ask us about our garden, but we don't have a garden. We have several little gardens all over our property. My husband has done sun charts and things like that, so he knows where the best places for plants that need certain types of light and or lots of light or shade. And so we have our edible garden where we have you know, beans, tomatoes, lettuces. We haven't started yet. Another week or so. This but... is why I don't do it. No, There's but sun this... charts involved. <laughs> no, you know what, though? That's brilliant as a concept. Yeah. Instead of doing one massive garden, to do yeah. them based on light, where your light falls. Yeah. He'll only plant where he thinks the seedlings are going to do best. Wow. That's how we do. Basil goes crazy in the summer, so we have lots and lots of that. We're, in fact, we're like sometimes trying to find other things to do with it besides Do you see my pesto. hand going up? <laughs> Give it to yes. us. Bring, bring it in. Bring it right mm-hmm. in here. Chris, I don't want you to feel terrible because oh, I don't you feel have, terrible. You I'm have an a end black user. thumb. I'm an end user. Though. Oh, me too. See, I'm the guy that can take your extra basil and show you a hundred things to do with it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I can use the stuff, but I just can't grow it. I'm the Lucy Ricardo of gardening. Are you? Yeah. Last year, I drove all the way out to White Flower Farm and got two very special sun gold tomato plants. Oh, yeah. I decide I'm going to plant them at a weekend place Mm -hmm. on the North Fork of Long Island, get on the ferry an hour and a half, and now I have to buy soil and pots. and I get it all set up. I'm looking around the driveway, Robin, to see where is the sun falling. This is where you need the sun chart, yeah. (laughs) This is my sun chart, and I see right there at the edge of the driveway is where the pot is going to go. And now I've got people helping me lift it. Yeah, because it's like 200 pounds now. You need a a lift. It's all set. (laughs) I get so excited because yeah. up it comes. Salad and I, time. I, yeah, I called it Middleton Farms. Well, <laughs> I wasn't the only one paying attention. Oh, uh, gotcha. Oh. Yep. So I go out one morning, yeah. mowed down. Deer? Deer. This summer, yeah. I'm doing it again. I'm going to put some kind of net. What there, can I put on There are on some it? like natural sprays yeah, that you can repellents. use. No. They smell horrible. I was to just going to Yeah, say. and then your neighbors are like, uh, I, "What are you doing?" Yeah. <laughs> you know that seaweed stuff smells like fish. Yes, and so it works. But you know, you I don't. Can, think I hear so. you get a I'm dog, and in, that helps. Oh, really? Yeah, if you get a dog, that oh, helps. Oh, that would be a dream. So if you're just joining us, earlier in the show, we've been walking through various cultures at this holiday time of year, so many holidays right now. And uh, we got sidetracked on gardening, which I love because it is spring. (laughs) So as we explore the food of many cultures, I want you to meet somebody that I bumped into. I was at Union League Cafe in downtown New Haven, which is a a really good place, a French bistro. It's that kind of place where you just start talking to people. And I meet... An architect, Martina Lind, she was with Cesar Pelli Architects Mm -hmm. for many, many years and has gone off on her own as a super consultant. She's a specialist in glass and architecture. But really, what did we talk about? She's Korean. And so I immediately wanted to talk with her about Korean food. We bonded over this. So I said, oh, you have to join us on the show. Architect Martina Lind, who loves Korean food and many other foods, lives in Madison, Connecticut. Welcome to the Fuch Moose. Oh, thank you. So great to have you on the show, Martina. Now, your mother, was, was she considered a good cook? Or maybe your father was the cook? 
Good cooks are only appreciated by great eaters, and we're, I think, <laughs> on both sides of my family, they're, they're just full of great eaters. Love that. When you're at home and you're cooking yourself, I know you're busy, you have kids and all that, but what would you say is your kind of weeknight go-to thing that's Korean? We always have bundles of scallions. Yeah. And I would say my youngest favorite is probably the scallion pancakes. And you could po- probably uh-huh. find it at any Korean restaurant as an appetizer uh-huh. menu. But it's actually a great meal, also like a quick meal, because all you need is to cut the scallion very finely. And in a store, you could actually get this powder. It's basically a, a pancake mix. Oh. A little bit of oil, um, you know, just a regular vegetable oil, and it just fries up very nicely. And if you want to take it up a notch, you add some calamari. Uh, more traditionally, they would add oysters. So if you took it up that to the nicer notch, you would have what? oyster pancakes with scallions. No, Yum. wait a minute. No, so first, let me, doesn't it, Robin? I think Robin and I, and Chris, I don't know if you're in mm-hmm. on this, but I think one of my favorite things at Asian restaurants are these scallion pancakes. So, Martina, I am so thrilled that you mentioned that. Let me ask you, when you go out to eat, we were talking about this. You said in Connecticut, not so great in terms of Korean food for you. No, not too much. You know, to be honest, my mother is such a great cook that what I grew up with was better than what I was able to get at these restaurants. Yeah, that mm. happens. That yeah, happens. Yeah, then you want to kind of go home and just try to improvise best you can. And there are a couple of pretty decent grocery stores in New Haven yes. where I kind of go, and they become one of my closest friends now. I walk in and I say to the people who run the grocery store of some ethnicity, I say to them, I don't know anything about this. I would like to try some things. Would you help me? I want to make one thing. So what would you give me a sauce? If you like spicy, the Korean traditional sauce is the gochujang, which yeah. is it's a pepper paste. Yeah, it's oh. like their version of a hot miso. Can you pronounce it again? Because I always get it wrong. Gochujang. Now, if I want to try food, if I'm not going to cook, but I want to try really good Korean food, and I'm willing to go into New York, because I know that's where you go, <laughs> give me the name of a place that you go to. I'm a child of the 80s in New York City, so my father, my parents always took us to Kangso, right on um, Broadway. Nice. How do you spell that? K-A-N-G and then S-U-H. I like ordering this tofu stew, and Ooh. it's basically seafood broth, and you'll see some shrimps in there or prawns and clams, and then they would have very soft tofu, just kind of floating. It's almost like a soft egg type of consistency. Like and a then there's pillow. all these vegetables, and it's cooked in a very thick pottery. So by the time it gets to your table, it's still bubbling. And you could add rice to it. And sometimes they will crack an egg and let it just cook slowly. Oh. And it's just the most amazing, slightly spicy. I guess you could ask them to hold a spice. but What's so fascinating to me is how many cultures, we see this in Middle Eastern culture, in Italian culture now, Korean culture, French culture, where you crack an egg into something mm-hmm. that's hot. And it, Poaches you know, in, there. in Middle Eastern, that would be shakshuka. Mm-hmm. There's just in so many cultures. All right, now I've got to ask you, because this really intrigues me. This is architect Martina Lind, who lives in Madison, Connecticut, and is a consultant to Roshman 
Steel and Glass. Now, they're based in Bavaria, but of course they have people here. You're a specialist in architecture, in, in glass for people, because we see so many buildings being built with glass panels that are wild shapes. So tell me about this world that you're in. Why this? When construction in 2009 started to slow down, there was a real interest by the European companies to get inside the U.S. You know, we, we've been kind of cheapening our buildings, and we've been putting little square windows, everything made out of aluminum, not the best material for windows. And yet we use it over and over and over. So this German company basically has the ability to super-engineer the glazing system. So the glass is not just like a hole with a piece of transparent thing on it, but it's actually a part of a building with its own structure, its own performance values, and it's able to block certain kind of UV rays. It's able to become a real envelope of the building. Wow, yeah. that's fascinating. She is right about European architecture. They take it so much more seriously when it comes to glass and windows well, and energy efficiency. Even using a fair amount of glass, if you do it right, you can have a kind of almost energy neutral space. Is that possible? Yes. It is possible. So right now what we are using in America are double glaze. It's got two glass panes inside of a unit. Standard glass in most of current construction in Europe are required to be triple glazed. It's hard to sell that type of performance value still in America. You know, the most important thing is I think American people have this feeling that it's restrictive. It's under code and it's hard to make it. It makes it expensive. But the thing is, they have the ability to also push it in the design, so it's beautiful. Briefly, you and I talked about Grace Farms, and that's when you bring the performance and the structure yeah. and the beauty all together. So we're talking about Fairfield County, mm-hmm. Fairfield Grace County. Farms, which Grace is Farms. just the most amazing place I am so happy we connected with you. I love your expertise on this. And food brings us all together. And right. If you want to reach our guest, Martina Lind, L-I-N-D, she's a specialist in glass. Just look up Martina Lind. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. You're just a dreamy person. Thank you. Let's see, what haven't we done in terms of culture? Let's do matzah, all right? Uh, We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers for on-demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week. And to find our food, wine, and cocktail recommendations, restaurants, hot topics, everything, videos, go to foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. You're listening to a rebroadcast of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. This show originally aired on March This is the Food Schmooze Party, offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island. That means, of course, the Hamptons. The senior producer of the show is Robin Doyon Aiken. 
And our curated recommendations are always online at foochmoose.org. Of course, you can talk with us on Facebook, as everybody does. Search Faith Middleton Foochmoose. Okay, here's what we've got. I've been waiting for this. I want to say the words, Chris. <laughs> Go ahead. Matzah nachos. I love it. Can you believe it? Our guest is David Kirchner. He is a Michelin-trained chef, spent many years running restaurants. He has his own private dining company right now, and he is the recipe creator behind this book called Matzah. 35 Recipes for Passover and All Year Long. The author is Michelle Streit Heilbrunn. People who are into matzah will know that name. Okay, David, welcome to the Fuchmas Party. Thank you, Faith. Thanks for having me on. Uh, it's our pleasure. So right away, I want to get to matzah nachos. And this is with pickled jalapenos. What a great idea this is. We really wanted to figure out ways of incorporating matzah into foods that we love on an everyday basis. So... When Mikey and myself first sat down and did our recipe grid for the book, we basically just started listing all of these amazing, fun, everyday bites that we love, and then we're kind of working backwards to reverse engineer matzo into them. What I'm wondering about, if I were creating this, the worry would be, are matzos going to get mushy once the liquid of anything goes on them? And so how do you prevent that from happening? The big trick we found was deep frying the matzah before you started. <laughs> See? Just like you would a tortilla. This is called the setup exactly. in broadcasting. So yeah, I was just dying to get you to talk about that. So what we've got is deep fried matzah, and I know you have fallen hard for that. And so what <laughs> happens is they get crunchy and crispy, and now, of course, nachos. That makes sense. So let's your ingredients for these, um, plum tomatoes, uh, white onion, jalapeno, fresh, fresh lime juice, some cilantro if you like it, extra virgin olive oil, a neutral oil for frying. What do you like? I love canola oil. Okay. Neutral flavor. If you want to shell out for a little grapeseed oil, really amazing smoking point. I'm a huge fan of that. Okay, so we've got grated cheddar or Mexican cheese or a blend. Uh, some pickled jalapenos, too, avocado, sour cream, or you could use Greek yogurt. And I want you to tell me how this comes together. Tell me about the frying first. We bring up a pot of oil to about 350 degrees, and you really approach it just like you would fry most chips or most vegetable chips. Can I jump in and ask you a question? Because I'm a little bit scared of frying, <laughs> as Chris knows. You know, when people start mentioning temperatures and thermometers, I start to think, uh-oh, do I really have to get it to 350 degrees, Chris? Yes, I do, he says. Okay. Yes. Why? Um, 350 is really important to prevent things from getting soggy and kind of oil-drenched. Yep. Too low, and things just absorb and become like a sponge of oil. Too high, obviously, they get way too dark, way too quick. So 350 is always that magical number for chefs, where things get golden brown, they dehydrate the right amount, so that they stay nice and crispy, but they have a long enough time in the oil to really dehydrate that amount that needs to in order to really maintain that crisp over time. So, so Chris is nodding his head. And, yeah. and I, I have two <laughs> words, though. Fry daddy. Buy one of those tabletop fryers, and it's just it takes all the work out of frying. And some of them wow, are even what? have tops on them now to where they don't splatter. To, we're gonna, yeah. Oh, oh, we're going to come back to that in just a second. Okay, so you fry the nachos until they're golden, they're crispy. Out exactly. they come. How do you drain them? Out they come from the fryer. I have a little tray or a plate set up with a couple layers of paper towels on them. I try to lay them out so that they drain pretty well in those paper towels, and then salt them at this point. 
So you really want to do seasoning here to really wake them up. How do you do your nachos? You do them in a so cast iron skillet? No, so these are actually, I'll lay them out in a sheet tray uh, lined with tin foil, and I spray with a little bit of Pam just to make life a little bit easier to get them off later. Before I started frying, I've already set my oven for about 400 degrees. I'm covering my matzo with all the cheese. I've already taken all those initial ingredients we listed, the tomatoes, the onions, the jalapeno, the lime juice, the cilantro, and I've mixed all that together and set it aside to sit for a pico de gallo topping. So. Yum. <laughs> Isn't this fabulous? Isn't it? By the way, this recipe and information about this cookbook is on our website, foodschmooze.org. I don't care what your heritage is, your culture, your religion, no matter what. Who doesn't want to have matzo nachos? Um, this is just fabulous. So, and how long in the oven? Just a few minutes. Five minutes inside the oven until the cheese melts. Yep. Um, then we top it with all of the pico de gallo. We cut up the avocado, do a little diced avocado across it, a few dollops of sour cream or Greek yogurt. I personally love Greek yogurt. Um, Mm -hmm. And then the kicker for me and a lot of these recipes in the book, we really wanted to bring in some fun techniques that people don't really think about when they think about Passover and matzo. I would challenge anybody to try to find a coach for a Passover pickled jalapeno out in the street. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make this very popular for you. Um, so, so David Kirchner, who is the recipe creator behind the book called Matzah, but Michelle Streit Heilbrunn is the author of the book and oversees the whole matzah empire. You've got 35 recipes in here for Passover, of course, but all year long, as you can see with these nachos, you can have them all the time. So matzo brai is something that I love. And if you don't know anything about this, we're talking about matzo crumbled up with uh, smoked salmon and eggs, usually. But you've done something here, and Chris just made this. Chris, I want you to talk about how easy this was. You've done something which to me is like an inside-out bagel. Totally easy. You just take the matzah and you run it under some water to, you know, soften them a little bit. You break them up into pieces, set it aside, and then you basically caramelize some onions, put a little butter in a pan, throw in your onions, cook them for four minutes or so until they get nice and caramelized, and then you whip some eggs, a little bit of salt and pepper, and then you throw that in on top of the uh, caramelized onions. You throw in smoked salmon, a little bit of dill, some chives, and some capers. Oh, and before you put the egg in, you but throw your... But hear that, capers. Yeah, capers. Capers go inside. Yeah. So this you're starting to see where the inside-out bagel idea comes in? Yeah. But the matzah goes in the egg. So it's actually coated with the egg and inside the omelet. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it is cool. And what I found is I had it, I'm always worried about our gluten-free people. So we try things both ways with matzah in it and matzah not in it. So um, it because of the capers, it had a very quite salty feel. But when you put the matzah in, that completely desalinates it, right? Absolutely. The matzo really is that foil that kind of brings all these elements together and lets them all kind of marry well. I would challenge your listeners, if they were gluten-free, a lot of the companies out there, including Strikes, is my partner on this book, do sell gluten-free matzo. And I won't say it'll work perfectly in every recipe in this book, but this recipe, especially when there's very quick soaking going on, it'll definitely work beautifully. Good to wow. know. See, we were wondering if there was gluten-free matzo on really the market. That's fantastic. Not only is yep. there, but you have it. They do different kind of spelt flour matzas. They're experimenting with a few others right now as well. Wow. Cool. That's so good. All right. So this is David Kirchner, and this recipe, this matzo brai, is also 
LEO matzo brai, which everybody knows stands for, well, many people know, lox, eggs, and onions. <laughs> I call it, I call this recipe the inside out bagel. So, so um, this is on our website too, and that's foodschmooze.org with information about the book matzo. It passed uh, my test because I had two portions. Yeah, and I always, I never go back for it. I never go back for a second helping, but today I did because it was so good. Yeah, Uh, there were a couple things in here I wanted to talk about. Uh, In addition, I just don't want to run out of time, David. But you have this anytime brisket, and this is like turkey stuffing. On certain holidays, people have, you know, your own spaghetti sauce. People have family traditions and history. I'm always thinking, oh, what is everybody going to say? I'm not making anybody's brisket, but Nana's brisket. (laughs) But you've got an anytime brisket here, and this is really innovative. With matzah, you know, this is that Austrian... Spetzel. So um, brisket, a little bit of oil, again, garlic, bay leaves, thyme, tomato paste, red wine, uh, chicken stock, whole carrots, extra virgin olive oil. And then how do you make the matzah spetzel? Honestly, it is the easiest recipe in the world for something that feels so unique and different. I take about two cups of matzah cake meal. So this is the finer grind of matzah. Where, um, where do you get that? You can find it in most large supermarkets these days, especially around Passover time. If not, Amazon absolutely has it. You can even call up Stripes specifically and they'll ship it out to you. Crown in West Hartford. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. my favorite. That's my favorite place. Okay, so so you get the cake meal and you mix with eggs and salt and chicken stock. Homemade would and be then, best. Exactly. But then nutmeg. That's interesting. Yeah, a little bit of nutmeg. You like that, Chris? Mm, definitely. Chris's mother is Austrian, so yeah, I'm always checking with yeah, him. Yeah, they use a lot of nutmeg in the stuff like this, definitely. Okay. okay, go ahead, David. Yeah, that little bit of nutmeg, it made me almost think of gnocchi when you make that kind of Italian food as well. Um, uh, but we basically mix all that together. Then the technique comes in, which is the whole trick to this dish. Yeah, uh, th- this is the part I'm nervous about. Okay, because I look at your picture of what it turns out to be, and I think, now, how did he do that? So go ahead, tell me what to do. So you take a large stock pot, um, fill it about three quarters of the way with water, and we're talking, you know, four to six quart stock pot. Bring that water all the way up to a rolling boil over high heat, and then your mixture is going to be a pretty sticky, wet dough. And what you're doing is taking a colander with about, you know, maybe a half-inch sized holes on them, and you're putting this wet dough into the colander and using a rubber spatula and actually scraping it through the colander. So you get these little droplets of dough that are going to kind of fall from the colander into your boiling water. That's it. Or you get a Spetzel maker. Or you get a Spetzel maker. (laughs) And if you make it it more than once a year, get a Spetzel maker. Really? Seriously? Because it just takes all the work out of it. Yeah, it's a, you so fill the little cartridge with, of it. With and, a colander with holes about, yeah. what did you say, half inch, did you say? Between a quarter to a half inch. Okay. And then you just rubbing with the back of a, a spoon or a, a spatula. And, of course, it's pushing the dough through. And there you go. Okay. My mom I, makes it on the edge of a cutting board, which is the old school method. So they make the dough a little heavier. So not so wet. And then with the back of a knife, she just flicks the little pieces oh into God. the boiling yeah. water. We can't it's pretty that. wild to watch. That is amazing. Well, <laughs> this, this yep. is a beautiful, I think that's it. And, and this recipe also is on our website, foodschmooze.org, with information about this book, Matzah, 35 Recipes for Passover and All Year Long. Michelle Strait Heilbrunn 
is creator of the matzah empire. And David Kirchner, our guest, is the recipe creator who collaborates with her. And it's so fun to talk with you about this stuff. Let's move right straight to dessert. And Chris, I'm not forgetting that I want to hear about this deep fryer that you were talking about that you can buy. Takes all the work out of frying. Okay, desserts in your book, David. You did matzah chocolate chip cookies. (laughs) What makes them as good as regular flour-based chocolate chip cookies or better? Oh, they're amazing. With matzah? So it's really this balance between the ingredients. So we're talking matzah cake meal, matzah meal, a little bit of baking soda that's inside of there as well, and then just that right amount of butter and sugar cream together. Okay. So the texture, is there a graininess to the... Because that's what I would imagine. Because that's two different... Which the would grinds, right? The, the matzah grinds. cake and matzah meal and are two different grinds. I would grinds. like that. So Absolutely. Is that it? I mean, you would think that there would be, but they just really blend together. And as wow. they cook out, it's a drop cookie technique. It spreads out really beautifully on you know your silk pad or, or your baking on your silicone pad and gets super crispy. The potato starch in there really acts to help it get that crunchy. Oh, oh, you forget that's I what's in matzah. See. Super oh, crispy. Yeah. Now, that's my idea of a chocolate chip cookie. I know you people like, the like them ones? soft. I just happen to be in the other camp. Yeah. And so this... Well, these are... Wow. You're going to love these because it's that perfect balance. You get to the edge of the cookie, it's oh. that crispy, snappy part, and the middle is just gooey and just gorgeous. I will I'm tell sold. You. Oh, I'm, I'm kind of sold I mean. myself. David, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. David Kirchner is the recipe collaborator and creator behind this book, Matzah, 35 Recipes for Passover and All Year Long. Michelle Streit Heilbrunn of the Matzah Empire is the author of the book officially. And uh, it's been a pleasure having you. And Chris, quickly, your fryer that you can buy is called a what? The Fry Daddy. Everybody knows what a fry daddy is. Now I'm mortified. Now you know. Come I'm on. Mortified. No, you okay, know. I'm always learning on this show. So, okay. So a fry daddy, and it makes everything easy? Makes it, it's a tabletop plug-in fryer. <laughs> has a lid on it so you can store it. it, it, it I don't it, have it, to worry if you about fry, temperature. Again, if you fry more than once a year, you need to have one of these. They're like 25 30 bucks. Okay. Right. I'm going for it. David, thank you. I'm going for you, too. Thanks. <laughs> no okay. problem. Thank you for having me. You're again. welcome. Bye-bye. Check out the book and our website, foodschmooze.org. Thank you, Chris. You know our slogan, never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Everybody eats when they come to mind.